Thanks so much for listening to the Summit Church Hazard podcast. We're in a series called The Life You Long For through the book of Galatians. And today, we're asking the question, does the gospel work? Let's jump right in. Hey, if you have a Bible with you, I want to ask you to go ahead and open up your copy of the Word of God on your phone, whatever you've got there. Galatians chapter 1. It's where we're going to be at in just a minute. Galatians chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. As you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How many of you remember infomercials? Does anybody remember infomercials? Put your hand up. Does anybody? Okay, a lot of hands. Some of you look like I just spoke in tongues. You're confused. Let me interpret. Infomercials, they were really big in like the 80s and 90s. Every once in a while you might stumble across one. But, but listen, about midnight or, or about 12.30 every night, like the local networks and the major channels, they would stop airing programming, and then it would just be infomercials for the rest of the night. Infomercials were like 30-minute long commercials. And the thing that I remember about every infomercial is that no matter what the product was, it was promised that this product would radically change your life. Right, That no matter what it is, this product is going to make your life better. Your life stinks because you don't have this. You buy it, and all of a sudden, baby, everything is awesome. Uh, probably one of the best infomercials is for a product called the Hawaii Chair. And I thought about trying to describe it to you, but then I thought it'd be better if you saw it. And so I want to show you a clip from, uh, from the infomercial, The Hawaii Chair. You're going to see a phone number, and this phone number might be active. If you want to order one while you're watching this, feel free. All right, let's see if we can do this this morning. Go ahead. She's in a Hawaii chair. There it is. There you go. Uh, I own one of those. And so um, I love that. If you can sit, you can get fit. You don't even have to go to the gym anymore. That chair will just shake you until everything is loose. Uh, I don't know if you could tell there with the lighting, there's one scene where the lady is trying to talk and she can't keep her legs still because the Hawaii chair is just has her all over the map. Uh, I love that. I think that's hilarious. A question that you should ask when you see something like that is, does it work? And the answer is in the fact that you've never heard of it and none of us own one is the proof that it probably doesn't, right? Well, why did I show you that? It's because we're in a series called The Life You Long For. And what we've seen in the book of Galatians is that Paul says that the life you long for is in the gospel of Jesus. That freedom is in Jesus, that the life you long for, what you're looking for in your heart of hearts is in the gospel. So a really good question you ought to ask when a preacher like me or just you read the Bible and it says stuff like that, a really good question you ought to ask is, well, does it work? Well, does the gospel work? If that's the life I long for, if, I, if there's freedom in it, well, does it work? See, here's the deal. A lot of people, when they think about the gospel, too many of us, we believe that the gospel, Jesus, Christianity, it's all about going to heaven 
when you die. So the goal of Christianity, that everything comes down to heaven, someday, eternity with Jesus. And listen to me. Don't get me wrong at all. Don't quote me and say I said something I didn't say. Heaven is going to be amazing. Heaven is going to be awesome, all right? Heaven is absolutely a part of it. But can I tell you that there is more than going to heaven when you die with the gospel? The gospel is more than heaven when you die. Now, look at me. It's not less than that. But the gospel of Jesus is absolutely more than a promise of what's going to happen to you in eternity. Too many people think that all it takes to be a Christian is pray a prayer, then you get some fire insurance, and then you go out and you try to be a really good person, but you can really just live this this, this Bible Belt version of watered-down Christianity where Jesus conveniently fits into your life. Everything comes in front of Jesus and his kingdom, but you can do some spiritual stuff if you've got time. And here's the question. Is that what Jesus died and came back to life for? Is that the gospel. So you ought to ask yourself the question, does the gospel work? In fact, listen, don't think I'm trying to be overly dramatic or anything like that. Here's a question you ought to ask yourself today, just right here in the room. Think about this. What difference does Jesus make in my life today? What, Jesus, what difference, rather, is Jesus making in your life today right here in this service, right here in the room. So that's the question, does it work? Well, before we dive in, let's remind ourselves of our definition of the gospel. So this is what we've said every single week, and we just want to keep reminding ourselves of it every week in this series. Here it is. The gospel is the announcement that God is saving the world through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah who reigns now and is coming again. And so today we are in a big section of Galatians. It's going to start in Galatians chapter 1. And basically in the section that we're in today, Paul is going to talk about the difference that the gospel has made in his life and the difference that the gospel continues to make in his life. So these false teachers have come into the church of Galatia and they've started to say, listen, if you want to be saved, you need Jesus plus circumcision. Circumcision was the Old Testament practice, the Old Testament right to say that you are a part of the people of God. And so these false teachers were saying you need Jesus plus circumcision. What we said every week is that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. That's gospel math. But here's something else that they've said. What they've also said is, listen, the reason that Paul didn't tell you about circumcision is because Paul's a fake. Paul's a liar. Paul wasn't called by God. He's not a true apostle. You can't trust the apostle Paul. This is exactly why, if you've got your Bible open to Galatians 1, this is not our passage today, but we'll just look at it. This is why Paul starts the book of Galatians with this verse, verse 1 in chapter 1. Look at it. Paul, an apostle, look at this. Sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Skip down to verse 10. 
Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, look right here. Paul is doing two things. Paul is, one, defending his, gospel, uh, defending his, his apostleship from the false teachers. But Paul is also, in the passage we're going to read, he's going to show us two things about the gospel. Paul is giving his testimony in the passage that we're going to read today. And Paul is going to answer the question, does the gospel work in your real daily life? And in answering that, Paul's going to show us two things about the gospel. The first thing that Paul shows us about the gospel and the difference that it makes in his life and in ours is that the gospel transforms. The gospel transforms. Look at it. Let's read this pretty good passage of Scripture, pretty lengthy. 111 through 24. Look at it. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin, because they were saying, the false teachers, that it was of human origin. He made it up. He's defending himself. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Look at this verse. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Now, if you don't know anything about the Apostle Paul, he just shared his testimony. Before Paul was Paul, his name was Saul. He was a very religious Jewish leader. He hated Christianity. He saw it as a threat to Judaism, saw it as a threat to his way of life. So Paul was literally, this is not dramatic, Paul was literally a, a terrorist in the first century who would go around city to city. He would hunt Christians, men, women, and children. He would have them arrested. He would persecute them. And sometimes Paul would have Christians killed. You can actually read about him doing this in Acts chapter 8. And even when Saul, before he becomes Paul, when Saul is, it, but when Saul gets saved in Acts chapter 9, he's on his way, the Bible says, to a city called Damascus to arrest and persecute Christians. And so, so Paul is exactly who he says he was. He was the person who intensely persecuted the faith. And when Paul gets saved, and God changes his name from Saul to Paul. Listen, they didn't even have social media. There was no way they could tweet about it. But people started to talk that the guy who tried to destroy the faith is now sharing the faith. Now listen, your testimony 
may not be as dramatic as the Apostle Paul's, but listen to me, Summit, every single person who has received the gospel has been transformed by the gospel. Every person that's received the gospel has been transformed by the gospel. Listen to me. In fact, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, so if you're here today, you claim that you're a Christian. Let's go to the next slide. Go ahead and go to the next one there. Uh, if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, go back one. Go back one. Whoops, we're too fast. There we go. We'll stick around right there. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, look at me. This verse is true about you right now. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, look what it says, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Do you see what it says? If you are a Christian this morning, if, if you're an anybody, all right, see, I know how this works. Some of you are like, well, not me. I had a bad week. I said some stuff I shouldn't have said, done some stuff I shouldn't have done. I had a bad week this week. If you are an anyone, so if you're here today and you are a Christian and you are breathing oxygen, you are an anyone. Hello? And anyone who is in Christ. If you're a Christian, you're in Christ. Look at what it says. Anyone who is in Christ is what? A new creation. The new creation has come into your life. If you belong to Jesus today, look at what it says. The old is gone and the new has come. And listen, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, anyone means that you can be in Christ today. If you're here today, it doesn't matter what you did last night. doesn't matter what you did last week. doesn't matter what you did that one weekend in college that keeps coming up in your memory. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, you can be in an anyone, and you can be transformed by the gospel today. Hello? Hello? Listen, there is room enough for everyone at the foot of the cross if anyone is in Christ. They're a new creation. So listen, it doesn't matter what your week looked like. If you are in Christ today, you are brand new. And I know we struggle, and I know we, we feel like a lot of times we don't have everything together. Hang on just a second. We're going to get there. But listen, just because you struggle, and just because we've got sin that's hanging around inside of us, that doesn't take away from the fact that if you belong to Jesus today, you have been transformed. Can we just say that together out loud? Listen, if you're here this morning, I don't know if you're with me this morning. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian, can we just all say out loud together, I have been transformed. Let's all say it together. I have been transformed. Some of you said it, and the look on your face said you couldn't be less excited. Let's do it again. I have been transformed. Let's do it three times. I have been transformed. See, you got to preach this to yourself because the enemy is the father of lies, and you just spent seven days. He's telling you you haven't been transformed. Why does, why does Saul become Paul. Look at me. Here's why. Your name now might be the exact same God-given name that your parents, somebody gave to you when you were born. But the reason that Jesus changes Saul's name to Paul is because the second you come to Jesus, you get a brand new identity. Do you know what that means? That means that you are not defined by your struggle. That means that the truest thing about you is not what somebody says about you. In Christ Jesus, you have right now, right now, you may not feel it, but it's true. That's why I had you a second ago. Preach to yourself, I have been transformed. If you belong to Jesus, you have a new identity. 
What you've done doesn't define you. What the world wants to use to define you does not define you. The truest thing about you is who God says that you are. So that leads me to ask a question. Do you know who God says you are? Do you know? Do you know your identity in Christ? Let me read off some of these things to you. This is not everything the Bible says, but this is just a few things. You might want to screenshot this so that you can have this in your back pocket this week. This is true about you in Christ right now. You, you, you have been declared righteous because of the righteousness of Christ credited to you. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have been redeemed through the blood of Christ and forgiven for all sin, past, present, and future. I feel like that's enough to get somebody excited, right? That all your sins, here you go. You have been given a brand new identity, and the truest thing about you is who you are in Christ. You are united with Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, right now, you can begin to live in the new way of Jesus. Listen, that is, just, that is just a small portion of what the Bible says is true about you in Christ. You might struggle this morning. You might be walking out of the worst week of your life. But listen, that struggle does not take away from the fact that if you belong to Jesus, you have been transformed. Transformed so that right now in the room, you have a brand new identity. Do you believe that? Do you, I mean, really, check yourself. I'm not fishing for an amen. I'll receive it. But do you believe it? You better check yourself. Do you believe who God says that you are? Because you have been transformed. That's the power of the gospel. Second thing we see about the gospel is the gospel liberates. The gospel liberates. Turn one chapter to Galatians chapter 2. And, and so Paul just continues to share his testimony a little bit, but he goes into a story of an event that happened beginning in verse 11. Look at it with me. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 down to 14. When Cephas, Cephas is the apostle Peter. So here's again another example. Somebody coming to Jesus, they get a brand new identity. Cephas, Jesus changes his name to Peter. All right. When Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul have a collision course here. Paul co confronts Peter about something. What do he do? Let's read it. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, to be, he, began, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So what in the world did we just read? Here's what we just read. Watch this. This is a big deal. All right. Peter is at table is at a table eating a meal with Gentile Christians. You say, so what? Here's why that's a big deal. Peter is a Jew. And we've said it past couple weeks in this series. 
that Jew and Gentile are separated racially. Jews look down on Gentiles. They're separated racially. They're separated geographically. Everything that could separate Jew from Gentile separates Jew from Gentile. But the gospel of Jesus tears down the dividing wall, Ephesians 2 says, between Jew and Gentile, and Jesus makes one new man. So what separates the world, the gospel, is able to bring together. So when Peter is at this table eating a meal with Gentiles, what that symbolically says is Peter's a Jew, he's with Gentiles, now these Gentiles are his brothers and sisters in Christ. The gospel of Jesus brings us so together, we can have a meal together, we're family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but then one day, all of a sudden, these Jewish religious leaders walk into the room. And Peter sees these guys walk into the room. And he says to himself, oh man, I wonder what those guys are going to think about me when they see me having dinner with these Gentiles. I know none of us have ever struggled with what do people think about me, but let's just give Peter some grace for a minute. Peter gets up from the table and goes and sits with these Jewish leaders so that every time these Jewish leaders would walk into the room, Peter would stop talking to the Gentile Christians and only associate with these Jewish religious leaders. And that caused the Gentiles to think, oh man, maybe we're not saved. Oh man, maybe we're missing something that they have. Maybe this whole circumcision thing is right. Maybe we don't belong to Jesus. And Paul says, Peter, listen, you are acting out of step with the gospel. So the question is, how is he acting out of step with the gospel? Here's how. Because when Peter gets up from the Gentiles and goes and sits with the Jews and ignores the Gentiles, Peter is trying to build back up the wall of separation that the gospel tore down. So if you're taking notes, you should write this down. The gospel liberates and sets us free from what separates the world. So here it, is. here it is. It's right here in the text. Let's just bring it out. Since the Bible is wanting us to talk about it this morning, this is what is happening here. There is no room in the body of Christ for racism at all, period, full stop. There is no room in the church whatsoever for discrimination, racism, based on someone's skin color, background, upbringing, fill in the blank. It is of the devil, it is demonic, and Jesus died to destroy it. We are going to a kingdom where there will be every tribe, tongue, language, nation, and people. A multi-ethnic, diverse kingdom is where we're going. So racism, prejudice, discrimination has no room in the church because Paul confronted Peter in front of everybody and says, that's out of step with the gospel. It's absolutely hypocrisy. So wherever it is in the church, we call it what it is. It's demonic. We turn from it because Jesus died to kill it. Amen? I feel like that was a sermon right there in itself. But notice this. Notice this. See, something else that happens is the gospel sets you free from being a slave to the opinion of other people. What got Peter in this whole mess was, oh man, I wonder what those guys are going to think about me. Listen, Summit, there really is freedom in the gospel for today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ for today? 
Oh, I know I'm free when I get to heaven. No, 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 oh, yes, amen. I'm talking about if the sun sets you free, you are free Father's Day 2022. Listen, there is freedom in the gospel for every teenager. There's freedom in the gospel for every mom, dad, grandparent. There is freedom in the gospel. Listen, there is power in the gospel, Summit. There's power in the gospel to begin to live a new way, to walk a new way. There is power in the gospel that can impact your marriage. Somebody say hello. Uh, somebody say amen. Come on, somebody. Let me, there's power in the gospel to help your marriage. Let me show it to you. Go to the next one. I think it's going to be uh, Galatians. Look at this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. In other words, don't use the freedom you have in Jesus to, as some cop out to live however you want. That's not what freedom in Christ does. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. What would it do for your marriage? What would it do for your family if you woke up every morning, leaned into the freedom that you have in Christ to lay down your rights so that you can put the needs of your spouse in front of your needs? Right? 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 I mean, so, so, so somebody's like, would that help, honey, would that help our marriage? Yes! Yes, it would. Yes, it would help your marriage. Right? Teenagers, that would help you with your parents. Parents, that would help you with your teenagers. What if you put your teenagers before yourself? What if you put your coworkers before yourself? Bosses, what if you put the people that are under you on the org chart before yourself? What if we did this in the world? I'm telling you, there is power in the gospel. There is freedom in the gospel for today. But maybe you don't feel free. See, that's the thing. When you preach a sermon like this and you go, there's freedom in the gospel, and you're like, amen, but I feel stuck. Man, if there's freedom in the gospel, why, why am I still struggling with that thing I've been struggling with for like 15 years? If there's freedom in the gospel, why do I still have these attitudes? Why do I still have such a short fuse? Hey, listen, Mark, man, I, I believe you. I'm in, but if I'm free, why do I feel like a slave? Now, if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you. Because the same Peter that Paul confronts is the Peter that denies Jesus. Jesus reinstates him. And then he preaches the very first sermon of Christianity in Acts chapter 2. And then he walks into this church and he basically denies the gospel again. And God forgives him. And Peter is going to go on to be a leader in the church. He's going to write at least two books in your New Testament. So if you feel like, oh man, I don't have my act, my act together, you're in real good company this morning. All right? Peter is right there with you. There, if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for all of us. Would somebody say amen? Right? So, so what do we do? I'm free, but I feel stuck. What do I do? Let me give you two big words this morning, all right? First word is justification. Justification. All right, we talked about it. I think we can go ahead and go to the next slide. Here's both of them. Justification, sanctification. Justification is when God declares you not guilty because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus in your place. Let's talk about it for a minute. So justification, we saw Paul use this word first week of this series. Justification happens the second you give your life to Jesus. Doesn't matter if you were 8 or you were 80. When you gave your life to Jesus, God the Father in that second took the perfect life, death, resurrection of Jesus, credited it to you, put it in your account, and God declared you not guilty. 
And so when God looks at you from the moment you gave your life to Jesus, God doesn't look at you and see your struggle. God doesn't look at you and see your mess. God looks at you and sees that you are covered in the blood of Jesus, and God's verdict over you is not guilty, and God will never go back on that verdict. You have been declared righteous. That is good news. That is good news. Your position before God this morning is that you are an adopted son or daughter of God. You have been declared righteousness. That is ha- righteous. That has happened for every single follower of Jesus. The second you give your life to Jesus, and nothing can take away from it, nothing can add to it. That's the first word. Second word, watch this one, is sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming who God says we are in Christ. So sanctification is the process of you and I becoming who God says we are. So justification is God declaring me free. Sanctification is the process of me growing in the freedom that I have. Does that make sense? Right? If justification is God declaring me not guilty, sanctification is me moving forward in my not guiltiness. Sanctification is what's happening in the life of every Christian right now. We are in process. That's good news this morning. That I'm a work in process. You're a work in process. We are works in process. Here's what that means. It means that not only have you been transformed by the gospel, but we are being transformed by the gospel. So you can grow, you can change, you can move forward. And one of the main ways that we grow in our sanctification and we bridge the gap between who God says we are and my daily experience, one of the ways we bridge that gap is in what the Bible calls renewing your mind. Do you know what it means to renew your mind? It literally means this. Change the way that you think. There's a reason that the book of Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so is he. Because your thoughts shape you into a certain kind of person. Look at me right now. It is entirely possible that this morning you have received the gospel and you are absolutely, radically, 1,000% free in Jesus. But the message on repeat in your mind is something that your parents said to you, a message you picked up somewhere, a lie that the enemy implanted into you, and it's been playing on repeat over and over. And there you sit, free in Jesus, but for 10, 20, 30 40, I don't know how long some of y'all been going. A while. As long as you've been going, that's been on repeat. And look at me. That message on repeat has shaped you into a certain kind of person. And there you sit, free in Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to change the way that we think so that we begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us. This doesn't come down to you ought to have a better self-image. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. But let's remember our definition of the gospel. I don't know if we can put our definition of the gospel back up on the screen. But the very first thing we say in our definition of the gospel is there it is. The gospel is, look at the next two words, the announcement. The gospel is an announcement. 
The gospel is news. The gospel is something that you hear, and based on hearing it, you respond. And some of us are free in Christ, but the announcements that run in our mind are shaping us into something that Jesus did not die for us to become. And we need to begin to do the work of renewing our minds. So let me just introduce a principle this morning, and then we're done. I'm going to introduce a principle that's going to come back to us in Galatians 6. In Galatians 6 is one of the most powerful principles that God gives us for transformation so that we, be, we can begin to experience the freedom we have in Jesus. And it's this principle of sowing and reaping. Look at these verses that are on the screen. A man reaps what he sows. A woman reaps what she sows. We reap what we sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh... From the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So Mark, I want to experience the freedom that I have in Christ that you're talking about. Well, here's my question for you. Are you sowing to that freedom? What if I told you that you and I are essentially the sum of our habits? I want to experience the freedom that I have. Do you have habits that sow that freedom into you? Or do you have habits that sow to the flesh inside of you? See, some of us, we're free, some of us, we're free in Christ, but we feel bound by what happened to us 10, 20 years ago. And listen to me, what happened 10, 20 years ago to you was horrible. It should have never happened. But the enemy wants us to set in that. The enemy wants, to live, wants us to live with that offense. The enemy wants us to become slaves to bitterness and cynicism. And if we just have habits where in our minds over and over we're rehearsing what, what, what happened, we're rehearsing what we would say, and we're growing in bitterness, we are growing in bitterness, but we're not sowing freedom. Odds are low that we will ever experience the freedom that we really do have in Christ. It isn't that I don't have it, it's that actually I'm sowing the opposite thing into my life. Does this make sense? Do you have habits that sow freedom into your life? Whose voices are you listening to? What are the messages that are on repeat in your mind? What does your internal dialogue sound like? How loud is the voice of God in your life? Is cable news louder than the voice of God? It is no wonder then that you're anxious. Because you're sowing anxiety into your... Does this make sense? And forget cable news. It can be whatever it is. If you want to experience the freedom, or forget freedom. I want to grow in joy. Are you sowing joy? I want to experience peace. Are you sowing peace? Because essentially, we are our habits. Can I just tell you, the Holy Spirit is all up in your habits. Man, the Holy Spirit would love to give you or get a hold of some of your habits and make you into a man or a woman who is growing in your experience of the freedom you have in Christ. The Bible says, take every thought captive. And on average, we think 6,000 thoughts a day. So some of you are like, well, I'm out. That's work, bro. Maybe you're like me. 
I would read that, take every thought captive. Oh, man, that sounds like a lot. Every thought? Oh, man, I have some crazy thoughts, and it just never quits. Every thought? What if you, what if you said this? What if, what if you started this way? Instead of take every thought, what if you started like this? Take the next thought captive. The next one. The next one. Take the next thought captive. Do your thoughts line up with who God says you are? Are you sowing freedom into your life? See, listen, there is power in the gospel to be transformed. There's power in the gospel to be, to experience liberation. We have been set free. But for some of us today, maybe that work of growing in that freedom is we need to start taking God seriously in the act of renewing my mind. Just renewing our minds. And I want to tell you today that there is power in the Holy Spirit to today begin the work of renewing your mind. And so we're going to move into a time of response, and here's what I want to do in the time of response. Some of you, maybe the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. This is for you. You need to begin the work of renewing your mind. And I'm going to come down, and if you're here this morning, you want to begin that work, here's what I want to do. I want to pray a blessing over you. I want to pray a blessing and just speak identity and pray over you who you are in Christ. We see this all over the Old Testament, New Testament. The church needs to pick this back up where we speak and pray blessings over one another. And so maybe today you say, Mark, listen, my, who, who I, I, I want to get my inner world to line up with who God says I am. I need to begin that work of renewing my mind. And maybe you just need prayer this morning. So I want to invite you to get up out of your seat. We would love to pray with you and over you this morning as we just begin the work of renewing our mind and taking the next thought captive. Would you pray with me this morning? So what did God say to you today and what will you do about it? I'm so challenged by the idea of renewing my mind and thinking about it a lot, reading about it a lot. I think our church is going to go through a series talking about that and really exploring what that looks like. But the idea of just beginning with the next thought and, and the habits we have. So when we talk about habits, talking about our internal dialogue, what's the way that we talk about ourselves what's the way we view life what kind of habits do we have what are we taking in because we are a sum of our habits and as a man thinks so he is and so i just want to challenge you this week with the idea of renewing your mind maybe you want to sit down with a pen and a paper and ask the holy spirit what's the lie that just plays on a loop over and over in your mind that you need to begin to renew that thought right there i want to encourage you you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ right now. Philippians, Paul says it, we have the mind of Christ. And so having it and moving towards the reality of experiencing it can happen as we renew our minds. And so I just want to encourage you with that today, praying for you. Hey, we are kicking off a brand new weekly newsletter called Renew Your Mind. Every week, fresh encouragement, inspiration straight to your email inbox. Check the show notes for links for how to sign up. Thanks for listening.